a joy to to see children you know children i think children you know to some extent give us hope they're a reminder about the future you know it's uh i think it's just a time of uh joy and excitement as we as we dedicate children it's also a time to remember about families and what families are i'm going to share this morning about families our strong foundation Uh, Remember last week I told you that I was going to go with Mary to southern Indiana. And we went to southern Indiana this week, Monday and Tuesday. And we found Mary's great, great, great grandmother's cemetery plot. It was up on a, I call it a mountain. I'm sure, you know, other people would disagree with that. But we, uh, we went to the base of this, whatever you call it. And uh, we switched from a 15-passenger van, and we all crawled in the back of a pickup truck because the van wasn't able to get up this stone path that went up to the top of this thing. And uh, the fellow, he was a local farmer that was a relative, and uh, he graciously tied a rope onto the truck and then looped it around the pickup truck so everybody could hang on to it so that in case you don't want to get real steep, you wouldn't flip out the back. Um, one lady was 84 years old that went up that, went up that uh, mountain, and uh, we drove, I would say, 10 minutes. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was quite a little jaunt up there. And uh, we drove through two creek beds with water in them. They were shallow, but they were rock-bottom creek beds. And we had to drive, they weren't bridges. You drove through these creek beds. And anyway, we got up to the top, and there was a cemetery of about 100 grave sites. And uh, one of them, which we found, was Mary's great-great-great-grandmother, born in 1790. And, you know, and I was just thinking about families, you know, and you think, wow, you know, I wonder if they'll look up any of our grave sites and (laughs) after, what, 100 and uh, 200 years later, would anybody even hunt for us, you know, but, but, you know, families, families are important. It was very interesting. We had a, we had a great time doing that, but, you know, it just shows what, what, you know, strength is in families and, and uh, how, you know, we're connected that way. You know, that God created it. And, you know, it's families and are his idea. And from the beginning, God created families. And in Genesis, the second chapter, the 18th verse, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called them, Each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man and said, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We see here that, you know, it was God's idea that from the very beginning God created man. And when he was done creating Adam, he wanted to find a helper, somebody that could help Adam. And it says, then he created all the atoms, all the animals, and Adam named all the animals, but they weren't, they weren't the ones. And then he created, took a bone, Adam's rib, 
and he formed a woman. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so God, from the very beginning, established marriage and he established families. I believe they're a foundation for life. They're the foundation for what we have and who we are. You know, animals, and and I always always say this, you know, you love your animals, love your animals. But you know, when, when God got done creating animals, they weren't fit to be Adam's wife. They weren't fit. Animals are animals, people are people. And we need to remember that as we think about animals sometimes. I just think sometimes, personally, we're elevating animals to too high of a position. And I think sort of we kind of degrade humans to some extent. And I've thought about this. One of my, one of my personal theories is animals don't talk back. You know? It's easier to love an animal because they don't talk back. You know, you don't have to learn as much to get along, you know. But, you know, it's a little more difficult. And I think sometimes maybe we take the course of least resistance. And, you know, we have animals. And I'm not, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. You know, you can love animals and take care of them. And, and they're great. They're great companions. But they're not people. Okay? They're not people. And so God created woman. And he said, now, the two will become one flesh. You know, God had a plan. God had a perfect plan. And marriage was created by God. God established marriage from the very beginning. And it is something that man cannot change. Man cannot change marriage. Man can try to change marriage. Man can say what he wants about marriage. Man can call it whatever he wants and do whatever he wants. But as far as God's concerned, he will never change marriage. It's all established. It's all established. Man, well, you know, people say, well, you know, times change. Times may change, but God never changes. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God doesn't change, and God's plan doesn't change. Oh, I'm not saying we change. Well, yeah, we change. We get sinful. We stray away from God. We do all kinds of things, you know. But that doesn't make it right, and that doesn't change marriage. You know, somebody said to me one time about, well, what would you do if somebody asked you to marry two men? I said, well, I can't. I, I, I don't know how. It's not marriage. I don't, I don't know how. I, you know, I have, to, I have to go by God's word, and I don't, I don't know how I would do that because it's, it's not there. It's not there. It's, it's something I can't do. You know, because God established marriage. You know, and man can say what he wants and, and pass all the laws he wants, but it doesn't change anything in God's eyes. God's word is still true. And, you know, we have to remember that because sometimes we can begin to think that, well, maybe we can alter things or maybe, you know, things do change. You know, society's different. Oh, yeah, I'll agree. You don't have to convince me society's not different. You don't have to convince me that things in people's eyes, man's eyes, things haven't changed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Things are changing in a bad direction all around us. But it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth. And I, I say that I believe the truth. And man can do what he wants, but we have to stand on truth. You know, that's, that's where we stand. And, you know, I believe that marriage being the foundation of strength of, of a society... <clears throat> 
I believe that we do have an enemy. And I believe that Satan wants to come and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10, 10 says Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. One of the things that I believe Satan would want more than anything else is to destroy families. To destroy families. If you're going to de destroy a people, break down the family. Break down the family. Break down the basic structure. Ba break down the strength of any people. And it will all start to go down. I believe that Satan wants to destroy families through broken relationships. You know, broken relationships. People not willing to forgive. People not having a hard time getting along. I believe when broken relationships happen, and then if you have broken relationships and people get into relationships with broken relationships, it only magnifies everything. You know, if you... If you come into a marriage with a lot of brokenness, it just magnifies the problems. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to redeem it, restore it, and change it. But I'm just telling you that if you come into it with a lot of brokenness and a lot of broken relationships, that it's hard to have a good relationship in the midst of that. And so broken relationships are one way that Satan wants to destroy families. I believe he wants to destroy families by parents not teaching and training their children in God's word. You know? By parents not being willing to teach and to train. It takes time. It takes time, time, time to raise children, to teach them, to train them. You know, you go to work, you have a job. You come home, you got another job. You know, I'm not so sure the one at home isn't more full-time than the one you go to. It's a job. And to think that you come home and now you're free to just kick back and do nothing, you're just kidding yourself. You come home, you have children, you have children to raise, you have children to teach. You, you know, training children takes time. One of the things you can do is you can get very weary. The Bible says don't get weary in doing good. Why? Because doing the right thing takes time. It takes effort. You know, it's not easy training children. You get tired. And that's one reason I think that, you know, families... Families are important. Support is important. The church supporting, you know, it, it's meant to be that everybody works together. You know, there was a time when everybody worked together raising children. You know, the schools, the church, the family, it was all kind of together. Now what have we done? We've separated it. We've separated it. You know, we don't support. It's not, it's not the same support. You know, we, when we were on our trip, we saw a one-room school. It amazes me that anybody that went through a one-room school amounted to anything. How did they do that? How did that happen? We spend thousands of dollars today teaching our children. Thousands of dollars. And they put up, the church put up this little building a one-room school, they still had the wooden desk in it. It was a very nice, it was like a museum. They still had the books laying there. Jane, Dick, little old books wore out. You know, they actually had numbers and charts on the wall, and they taught the kids how to count. How did these people become doctors, lawyers, engineers, out of these one-room schools? How did that happen? Is it even possible? But now today we spend... Millions of dollars building buildings and, 
you know, education and teaching. And then if there's a problem, we, well, we just need more money. We need more money. We need more money. That's what's going to make education. Somehow these people figured it out back here on the side of a hill. Isn't that something? Don't you kind of wonder about that? I do. I wonder. Well, you know, I think it's because they had community. They had community. It wasn't all saying, you know, everybody was together. And, and they taught. And, you know, they taught other things too. They taught hard work. One lady that rode up that mountain with us on the back of the pickup. Well, actually, she was in the front. She didn't ride in the back, but she was in the front. And uh, she said, we got up on top. She says, my grandmother went to school up here. Now, I don't even know how these people lived up there. I'm telling you, it was, it was like this all the way up. And then he said, well, now there was an old site where a house was, and you'd see a little patch of stones where it looked like a foundation and trees growing up. And all the way up, he'd say, well, somebody lived there, and the school was here, and the church was here. I don't even get it. I've still tried to figure that out. But this lady said that her grandmother walked five miles up that hill to school. Five miles up that hill to school. And she said when the water got up, the teacher would come down and carry her across the rivers. That doesn't even make sense. Besides that, if we get a little snow, a little rain, we're canceling school. I don't know what them people were doing sending their kids up that mountain five miles. Or did they teach them something else? Or were they learning something maybe that was more important? Commitment, hard work. You know, there's, there's other things in life that make us successful. But I believe that Satan wants to discourage us from teaching and training and teaching and training sometimes the right things. And I also believe that sometimes nowadays we have so many other things around us and so many other things that distract us. It's so easy to leave children to themselves. It's so easy to let something else entertain them. TV. Nothing, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a TV. But, you know, TV. Obviously, everybody's waiting for me to say video games. They can learn from them. But it's not a substitute for other things. And it's not a babysitter. Because you need to teach and train the other things. You know, you need to teach and train disciplines. And it all takes effort. It takes effort. It takes time. And you look at the children that came forward today. You know, if nothing else, we ought to see that they're worth it. They're worth it. They're worth the effort that we need to put into it. And so families become very important and a necessary thing in in our society. I want to take a look at, at the family structure a little bit. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the 25th verse, I'm going to do an overview of this. But it starts out by saying, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Husbands, husbands, love your wives. Most of the time, if I've ever done marriage counseling, when I've done marriage counseling, I have yet that I can remember finding a husband that didn't love his wife. If I ask him, yeah, I love her. That's not the biggest question. The biggest question is, do you love her as Christ loved the church? That's a much bigger question. Because now that defines what that love is. It defines what that love is that a husband's supposed to have for his wife. Christ gave sacrificially for us by dying on a cross for us when we didn't deserve it. That's love, sacrificial love. And so husbands, we're to love our wives sacrificially. Sacrificially, give, give, give. Serve, serve, serve. Love, love, love. Pay attention to her needs, her desires, her emotions. Don't try to figure her out. Don't try to fix her. Pay attention. Listen. Pray for her. Encourage her. Bless her. Give. Give sacrificially. It's not about you. You know, sacrificially means it's not about me. It's about her. And so I'm to give. Does it matter what you think? Maybe, maybe not. Does it matter what you want? Not necessarily. Sacrificially means it doesn't matter what I want. Sacrificially means that I do what they want. I give. I, I give and pay attention to what she needs and what she wants. And so that's the kind of love that husbands are asked to give to their wife. Sacrificially. And then wives, it goes on. And it says that wives are to submit to their husband. Back in verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. That's a word we just do not like. Submit. I believe personally that the whole women's liberation movement that came a few years ago, there was, there was parts of it probably that were necessary, but I believe the biggest thing was, the biggest thing that destroyed marriages was submit was not a part of that whole scenario. The scenario was, I'll do what I want. I'll do what I want. The Bible says, submit. Now, the Bible says, submit to your husband, and it means respect him, help him. Remember when God said, you know, Adam needs help. And every woman ought to say, boy, was he right? You know, man, are you kidding? Boy, they do. Men are helpless. They need help. They do. We need help. We need helpers. We need encouragement. Do men do everything right? Absolutely not. Remember, this is all within the scenario of being human. You know, God sets the ideal and he sets the pattern for us. And then we as human beings with our failings and our mis 
direction and the things we do. We try to carry out what it is God's asked us to do. You know, ideally, the picture is a husband. He he gives sacrificially everything to his wife. Well, if a husband did that, the wife wouldn't have any trouble submitting to him. She'd go, oh, yeah, I'll do whatever he wants, man. He wants what's best for me. You know, the catch is when the husband shows his human side and he gets selfish, and then the wife says, well, I ain't submitting to him. Look at him. He's, you know, he ain't worth submitting to. And it starts to break down. It starts to break down. But God establishes a pattern for us, and that's what we need to look to, and that's what we need to try to live up to is his pattern. Or oh, are we going to fail? Absolutely. We're not, gonna, we're not 100%. And at those times, then we what? We forgive. We forgive. We forgive one another when we fall short. And if we do according to God's plan, it has a much better chance of working out the way he wanted it to. Now, one of the big questions is, well, who goes first? Well, I always say, if I'm talking to the husband, I tell him, you go first. If I'm talking to the wife, I tell her she goes first. Somebody's got to go first. Somebody, you know, if, if the marriage is broken down, somebody's got to start doing their part. So that might look like a husband sacrificially gives to somebody that doesn't deserve it. And it also might look that a wife submits to somebody that's not being kind and considerate and sacrificial. But you got to start. You got to start doing what God's called you to do to get to where God wants it to be. And so I am only responsible for my part. You know, I'm responsible for my part. Usually what we say is, well, I'll change when they change. And that usually doesn't happen. We're each responsible for our part. And then children. Children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And we need to teach them. We need to train them. You know, we, we got to put effort into it. You, gotta, you can't just say, oh, yeah, you got you to gotta teach and train. You know, t- most of the time training moments are when things are all astir. You know, you don't teach your children when they're being obedient or they're doing what you want. You don't train them when they're acting. You know, that, that, you just accept that and go, Phew, wow, everything's calm. The training moment is when they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. And you have an opportunity to train them not to do that or train them what to do or train them how to. You know, show them what it is is proper behavior. Show them what's the right thing to say. One of the best training things we can do is set an example. It's one of the biggest ones. You know, if you've raised children... And, you know, they're growing up. Don't you hate it when they act like you? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, and you really look at it and you go, oh, I know where they learned that. Yeah. Our example is so strong, folks. Don't, don't minimize your example. You know, take responsibility. You know, realize that what you say, how you treat other people, your kids are watching. Your kids are watching you, how you, how you talk to the teacher when you go to um, teacher meetings where they have the parents in, you know. Or kids watch, and they go, wow, if I mess up, mom will defend me because she'll defend me no matter what. 
Well, they learn that. They kids are smart. I always say kids are smarter than we are, but kids are smart. They're smart. They watch. They learn. They they follow our example. You know, great responsibility to set an example, a godly example for them. You know, teach them to honor authority. You know, how you talk about the policeman that's sitting in a speed trap watching for you. You know, how you, how you talk about that person. Your, your kids are watching. You know, teach them to respect other people, other people's property. Teach them humility, that they're not better than other people. Teach them to be truthful. Teach them to tell the truth. I believe there's times when there's times when you can discipline children for lying, and I think there's times when you teach them if they tell you the truth that you'll be gracious and merciful to them. To teach them that telling the truth is a better option. You know, teach them. Teach those things. Train them. Teach them to serve other people. You know? Look around you and see if there's somebody that might need help in your community and take your children with you to serve that person. Take your children with you. You know, if somebody's in the nursing home, you know, your kids don't like to go to the nursing home. I know adults that don't like to go to the nursing home, but if there's somebody in the nursing home, take your children with you. You know, teach them about life. Don't say, well, I don't want to take my kids because I don't want them to see that. No, teach them. You know, people say, well, I don't want my kids to go to the funeral home because they're going to ask silly questions or they might, you know, take them and teach them. Talk about death. You know, talk, teach them, train them. You know, don't avoid those things, but use those opportunities to train your children. You know, families are a big job. Godly families are a big job. It takes a lot of effort. A lot of effort. You know, we're never done. You know, we're never done. You can avoid, you can run from it, but we're never done. It's always there. Because we're meant to be in families. We're meant to be in families. What do, we call, what do we call the body of Christ? We call it a family, the family of God. We call it brothers and sisters. I think personally we ought to treat it like a family. I think the church is meant to be tra- taught and treated as a family. I don't think it's a business. Church was never meant to be a business. It's a family. Because God has established families and that's the strength of who we are. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, I just pray you just be with each and every family that's represented here today. Lord, I pray that you just encourage them, encourage us. Lord, that we would see that training and teaching and being responsible for our part of a family is a big job. It takes effort. It takes time. Lord, help us to be willing to do that. Lord, help us to not grow weary in doing good. Lord, I pray you just bless families in our country. 
Lord, strengthen the family. Lord, those forces that work against the family, Lord, I pray that you would just resist them and help your people to stand up and be examples of what a family really is. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us. Lord, as we go forth today, Lord, help us to be faithful to do our part, our part, and whatever that is in the family. Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, I pray if anyone needs prayer this morning, you just encourage them to come up and let um, Tom and Pam and Rose and Jim pray for them. Lord, I thank you for meeting our needs. We just pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.